It's a good day to be together, isn't it? I've been able to honor and remember those who gave their lives in service to our country. I've been able to remember Jesus, the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice and dying for the sins of the world. And we're thankful for his sacrifice. And we're also thankful for his resurrection. He conquered sin and death and hell. Jesus was an interesting fellow. He's more than just an interesting fellow, but he says and does some intriguing things throughout his time on the earth. The gospel accounts record much of his life. And there's one story, one event and encounter in particular that I want to look at in the life of Jesus this morning. Because Jesus, like we, lived on the earth. As he lived on the earth, he lived in a day and a time and a place in which there was a government over him, rulers that were over his people, and somebody who was in charge of a nation other than himself. Hey, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but even he, when he became a man and lived on this earth, lived under governmental authority. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the ideas of allegiance and worship. Allegiance and worship and how these things fit together from an event in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And what we'll realize as we go through this story together and talk about its implications for our lives and in our day and time and in the country that we live in is that our nation is not a bad thing. Government is not a bad thing. In fact, we can be thankful to God for the order and establishment of these bodies. But at the same time, we'll realize that government is not God's ultimate end design. And that we long for a kingdom that is greater than any established nation currently on the earth or than has been in the past, or ever that could be conceived of in man's own mind. And what we'll see is this, that we owe our allegiance to our nation, but we owe all of our worship to God. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one. He said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed 
at him. More than just interested, but amazed. They marveled at the way he answered their question. And I'm amazed myself. In fact, one of our nation's founding fathers, you'll recognize the name Thomas Jefferson, was a Bible-reading man. And uh, Thomas Jefferson decided that he was going to go throughout the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the New Testament, and that uh, he was going to create a summation of Jesus' philosophy of life and his teaching principles. And Thomas Jefferson, being of the persuasion that he was and his system of beliefs, which is very complex and complicated, decided really to just use the teaching portions of Jesus's account in the Gospels and to leave out some of the miraculous events like the feeding of the 5,000 or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But the instruction and the teaching from Jesus that he included, he was just struck in awe by. Some people have criticized and condemned Thomas Jefferson for actually cutting up the Bible and pasting different verses into his own little book saying that uh, wasn't really a true believer and didn't want anything to do with God. He just liked Jesus' teaching and was trying to use Jesus for his own purposes. Others have said that, uh, that Thomas Jefferson was a God-fearing Christian and that he created this Bible to be a, a missionary tract of sorts to the Native Americans who are still living in the country. I'm not really sure what Thomas Jefferson believed because I've never talked to him before. He's not around. I do actually have a copy of that little Bible, though. It's a later edition that was reprinted. And this story is in there. And I, I find it interesting that this story is in there. Because it's not really so much, so much just Jesus' philosophy and teaching. It is, but in some way there's some form of miracle involved as well. And so if the goal was to get rid of the miraculous ideas and this story was included in this little Bible copying and pasting exercise, I think maybe Jefferson failed at that. And hopefully you'll understand as we work through this passage together. Now Jesus was God's own son, having come to God from heaven itself. He was the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. He had no reason for anyone to rule over him because he had created the entire world and the universe. But yet when he came into this earth, he was born into an interesting time and an interesting place. It was a country that was really unlike ours. In fact, there was a, uh, not just a government, but really an empire in charge of the known world at that time. The empire of Rome. And everybody looked to Rome. In fact, Rome did a great job following the Greeks before them of setting up their kingdom to where people had to listen and obey them and they could continue to expand their territory, but to where they also would let people have just enough freedom that they wouldn't cause revolts and they wouldn't bring about an uprising and want to overthrow the government and so they, they kept a, a dial on the people and would read the gauge quite often in different areas of their territories. 
Jesus was from a territory that the Romans called Judea. Palestine, there along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and beyond. It was along the route of the King's Highway, major intersection going from Africa and into Asia. This was a strategic place, not just for the Romans, but for every military campaign that had gone through in ancient times. And they, they left a, a puppet ruler there, Herod. He was kind of left over from the Greek times. And he was kind of liked by the Jews and kind of despised by them all at the same time. So maybe their country kind of was like ours in some ways. Some people liked their ruler, some people hated his guts. And as Jesus is born into this time and into this place, he finds himself in an interesting position. And here's why. Jesus was born a Jew. God's chosen people from the Old Testament were Jewish people. And the Jews had an expectation about their coming Savior, their coming Messiah, that He would establish God's kingdom in this world. And if Jesus was coming to establish God's kingdom in this world, that meant that God would rule in perfection. And so the Jews took this a little bit further and decided to understand it this way. That the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, who Jesus was, they decided that this Messiah would be one who would overthrow oppressive governments, who would do away with non-God-following leaders, and would not just overthrow oppressive governments, but also raise the Jewish people back up to world-renowned status. God would be their God, and God would dwell with their people, and everything would be perfect, and they would be at the top of the food chain. And this is where Jesus found himself. Living in Judea, in control of the Roman Empire, under the emperor Caesar. While at the same time, a little puppet ruler named Herod was left to oversee some trivial matters when it came to the Jewish people who wanted both Herod and Caesar out of the way. And so these Pharisees and some, some Herodians decided to try to trap Jesus. Because it was at this point in Jesus' ministry that a lot of the people that wanted him to be the Messiah didn't really want him to be the Messiah anymore because he was always telling the truth and people didn't like that. And he was always loving people that shouldn't be loved and people didn't like that. And so they were just about ready to completely do away with Jesus. So they decided to find reason to arrest him and really to execute him. So they came up with an idea. The seed that was conceived was something along these lines. Let's do this with Jesus. Let's ask him whether or not it's lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And here's why in their minds it was such a good booby trap. If Jesus said, well, yeah, you've you got to pay the poll tax to Caesar, then what he is doing is setting himself up not to be the leader of the Jewish people and not to be their Messiah. If he says that we should pay a poll tax to Caesar, 
that he supports this barbaric Roman government. On the other hand, if he's a good Jew and he says, I ain't giving no money to Caesar, then all we have to do is take him to Pilate and say he's guilty of causing an insurrection. Pilate, the Roman procurator there in Judea. And so, in their minds, it's perfect. Jesus says, no, we got him. If Jesus says, yes, we got him. Shall we pay? Shall we not pay? But Jesus, like I said, was an interesting guy. In an interesting way of responding to questions like this, didn't he? Whenever there was a multiple choice, A or B, he would write in a short answer, C, and it was better than the other two. And this is basically what he does here. He knew the hypocrisy that was in their hearts. He knew they were coming to trap him. And so he just says, well, why are you testing me? In fact, you know the coins that we use or are supposed to use to pay this poll tax to Caesar? A denarius is what it was called. Bring me one of those, would you? And maybe at that point they're thinking, oh, what have we gotten ourselves into? We don't know, but they bring him a coin. Maybe they're still excited because they thought they could trap him. And he examines it, and he looks at it. And he then asks them a question. Who's, whose picture is, is on this coin here? Jesus, that's Caesar. Everybody knows Caesar. You've known all kinds of stuff. You don't know who this guy is. Jesus said to him, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Actually telling these leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians, that it wasn't just that simple of an answer. In fact... It made them look like fools in some way, shape, and form. And it made Jesus look like the king that he is. Jesus knew that Caesar was the ruler of the day. The big man in charge of the Roman Empire. He knew that Rome had set up a governmental system to oversee people, to collect taxes, to create war, to expand territory... To exalt themselves. And Jesus knew whose picture that was on the front. And when it came time to really think about poll taxes, Jesus realized that these denarius, or denarii, the plural, about a day's wage really wasn't worth anything in God's kingdom. I mean, you could kind of do the same thing, right? Maybe you got your wallet, your billfold on you. Maybe there's a coin or something in your purse. If I were to ask you to take out a coin or a bill, whose picture would you find on there? Lincoln, Washington, Roosevelt, Franklin. If you're Travis's friend, maybe you got a Franklin. I don't know. He wasn't a president, though. But here's the thing about all those people. They're all, they're all people, right? 
And, uh, and here's the other thing about all those people. All those people were leaders in our nation's history and in this country. Jesus knew that these people were placing value on the wrong thing. And not just on the wrong thing, but on the wrong kingdom. And not just on the wrong kingdom, but on the wrong king. You see, here's what they wanted. They wanted to be able to roam about and live life as they pleased under God's Old Testament law, under a person who is in charge of their liking and their ethnicity, a person that saw things the way they saw them, a person that would do what they wanted to be done. But in holding up this coin, Jesus says, guys... Let Caesar have that. His picture's on the front. I don't need it. But guys, here's what's more important than even just paying that poll tax to Caesar. It's giving to God the things that are God's. I mean, really, God is the ruler of us all. Whether we lived in Judea underneath Herod and Pilate and Rome... Or if we live in this day and time, in the United States of America, under the leadership of President Donald Trump, or before, under the leadership of President Barack Obama, or George Bush, or Bill Clinton, we could go back through all of these names. Jesus didn't care so much about overthrowing the Roman government. He lived as a person who understood the authority and the order of his day. And I'm sure that he wasn't pleased with everything that Caesar did. And I'm sure that he wasn't happy about the way Rome was handling everything and treating everyone. But still, he knew that God had established government for people's good, for people's welfare. And he respected the authority and the leadership of his day. But more so than that, he understood the coming kingdom that one day God would rule in absolute glory and majesty over everything and every place and every person that he had ever made and that's why they were amazed because Jesus is actually referring to a miraculous event to God belongs everything everything Because he's made it all. You see, it wasn't just that Caesar and Rome deserved to receive these coins back in a poll tax. It's that the very people of Rome, the leaders and the subjects alike, were all made in God's image and in God's likeness to reflect his glory and to worship him. And so here's what I find in our day and time. And maybe this is the challenge. I'll try to make all of you mad just to even it out, okay? There are some of the idea and persuasion that we live in the best country on earth, 
that there has never been another nation like this in history and things could not be better. We have so many freedoms. We enjoy so many privileges. We have so many rights. And it is just a wonderful place to be. God has blessed our country from its founding. There were Christian ideas and principles undergirding the Constitution. And it's a wonderful place to be. And then there are people on the other side of the aisle who think that, man, this this place is just like every other place in the world. You got to know somebody to get, a, get anywhere. They call this the land of the free and the home of the brave. But we feel oppressed. We feel trapped in the same old cycles of economic poverty that we've been in for forever. And our families were in before us. They do this. They don't do that. They say they want to take care of people. And all people are created equal. But yet they treat these people like dirt. There's not enough legislation passed to care for these people and defend the rights of those and, man, in fact, the best thing that could happen is if the United States no longer existed in some people's minds. I think we're placing value on the wrong thing. I think we're looking at things the wrong way. If we take either of those points of view to its ultimate extreme and ultimate end. Man, folks, listen. There's not another country in the world that I would rather live in than this one right now. I mean, I just, I'm thankful that God put me here, aren't you? I really am. I'm thankful for those who have defended our freedom. I'm thankful for those who have served in our nation's military. I'm thankful for those who are serving in public offices and passing legislation and reviewing legislation and making decisions. I don't want to have to deal with all that. It's huge. I'm thankful to be an American citizen. At the same time, I understand that my Savior doesn't sit in the White House in Washington. And that no matter how many good laws are passed, those laws are never going to change human hearts. And no matter which justices of which ideology sit and make decisions on the Supreme Court, ultimately there's one judge who's able to judge in absolute truth and righteousness. It's the King of Kings and it's the Lord of Lords. And so while I'm thankful to be here, and I wish not that this country and our freedoms would disappear, I long for the day that Jesus comes back and makes it all right. I long for the day when Jesus returns and establishes His kingdom and His rule and His reign on this earth. And it's not just laws written on stone tablets like it was for Moses and the Israelites or laws written down on old pieces of paper sitting in museums like it is in our own country. But it's God's word itself that is engraved on our hearts. And we live in obedience and worship to him for all of eternity. I long for the day that Jesus comes back. Because I want to bow before my king. And I want to say, king, thank you for giving your life for me. King, I don't, I don't have much to give you. But God, I, I don't want to just give you a little tribute, a little coin for a poll tax. God, this isn't much, but what I want to give you is my life. Because I belong to you. You made me. and You died for me. God, I, I want to give everything to you. We owe allegiance to our nation, but we owe all of our worship to God. 
And so tomorrow on Memorial Day, man, you enjoy the barbecues. You wave the stars and stripes as high as you can. You dress in red, white, and blue, and you enjoy the freedoms we enjoy as Americans. And you pray for the leaders who are in charge of our nation, that God would give them wisdom. And you live as a responsible citizen in a nation that doesn't do everything perfect. But you also live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Knowing that tomorrow morning, when the flag is waving high in the sky, and you've got these emotions that go, man, this is a great country, but man, what in the world are we doing? That there is a kingdom coming that is far greater than anything man could establish. It's the kingdom of God. And on that day when Jesus returns, he shall reign forever and ever. Are you giving God what he deserves? All of your life, all of your worship. Do you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father God, we thank you so much for the time we've been able to spend together this morning in worship. And God, we pray that you would be with us now. God, we thank you so much for the country that we live in, the freedoms that we enjoy. We thank you for the picture of sacrifice as we reflect upon those who gave their lives to protect us. God, we know that ultimately those sacrifices point to the great sacrifice of your son Jesus. The one who came and died on the cross for all the sins of all the people in all the world. Romans, Jews, Americans, Africans alike. Every person from every tribe and tongue and nation. And God, we pray that as we live in this nation, in this time on the earth, that we're thankful for the privileges and opportunities you give to us. But at the same time that we look to you, the soon coming king who will reign and rule over it all. God, this morning, we bow our knees and we confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord. If there is somebody here today, Father, who doesn't yet know you, God, I pray that they would take their eyes off of the things of this world and they'd look up to heaven and see you, the one true king who's seated above it all. God, that they would know that it's not about Democrats or Republicans getting more votes, there being more red or blue states. God, that they would know that it's not about what they want to enjoy, but it's about living their lives in relationship to you, naming you the Lord of their life. God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't yet know freedom in Christ, they believe today that he died on the cross for their sins and rose again. God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for giving the life of your son for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.